With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Kathy Barrett, and welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. And life is something we shouldn't do alone. So spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain this week. Our show today is part three in our Breast Cancer Awareness and Empowerment Series, which is a celebration of life and a salute to the 2.5 million breast cancer survivors in this country. The good news is that breast cancer deaths are on the decline because of early detection and more effective treatments. So please, if you have been putting off your annual mammography for whatever reason, stop Go to the phone and make your appointment right now. I will not mind because the show is in archives. You can listen to it. But please, take the time for yourself. This is something that should not be delayed. This week's show is Survive and Thrive, and we have two extraordinary women on the program today. Our first guest is veteran filmmaker and mother Mary Katsky, and our second guest is Amanda Melnick, a wife and mother, and she's also vice president of marketing for the Food Channel and Cooking Channel. Amanda will be with us for the second part of the program. Veteran filmmaker and mother Mary Katsky lost her own mother to breast cancer several years before her own diagnosis in 1992. At that point, Mary vowed at the time that if she was fortunate enough to celebrate her fifth anniversary of being cancer-free, that she would produce a video documentary about breast cancer survivors for women to have at the point of their diagnosis. Mary created the documentary Between Us as part of a first aid care kit, which could be given to the newly diagnosed in hospitals and doctors' offices around the country. The point of diagnosis is known to be one of the loneliest and most frightening moments in anyone's life. Affinity Films, her not-for-profit educational media production company, is based in Anchorage, Alaska, and was founded in 1982. Mary has produced over 30 films and documentaries. Affinity Films relies on grants, donations, and commissions to create their meaningful media. So welcome, Mary, and all my new friends in Alaska. So exciting. Well, thank you very much, and that was a splendid introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I have to make a trip there. I've heard so many wonderful things about Alaska, so now I have to come out and see you all. Absolutely. We have a a marketing slogan that's before you die. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's very simple and to the point, isn't it? Okay. (laughs) Well, first of all, you're coming up on a 19-year anniversary of being cancer-free. Is that correct? That is correct. I, um, I 
do not miss any opportunity to celebrate life and where I'm at. And I'm also always quick to point out that I don't know how much credit we get to take for this. I have lost so many sisters along the way that I am always cautious about owning it in the ter- in the sense that <clears throat> that, that uh, breast cancer is many different animals. It can be a lazy tumor. It can be an aggressive tumor. It can be a very early stage diagnosis. It can be a late stage diagnosis. And of course, once that later stage diagnosis happens, it's an entirely different battle. I was very fortunate that I was persistent. I'd been told for a year that my lump was nothing because I was too young to have breast cancer in my 30s. And because I was persistent and didn't give up, having lost my mother to the disease, um, I was fortunate to still catch it at stage one, even after that year. But I always tell people that that even the most brilliant people in the world haven't figured out what makes it happen. And so we can't entirely claim any responsibility for our survivorship. We can just appreciate it. And we can share what we did because maybe it worked and maybe it didn't. We don't know. I did everything. And yes, that's that's very very true. And every as you say, every experience is different. But looking back to your point of diagnosis, you had a particularly difficult uh, time with it. A lot of challenges to face. Can you just share that story with you when you were di- diagnosed with your insurance company and all that you? Because a lot yes, of people well, are experiencing that yes. today. Well, yes, insurance is is, is a big problem. I was just. Um, graduating with my master's uh, from New York University in film and found out uh, while I was still on my student policy and they immediately dropped me. And unbeknownst to many people out there, that is something they can do. I went to three different lawyers and they told me that what they had done, while it was immoral and wrong, it was not illegal. So... Uh, So I was in a position of wanting immediate medical care with no money, having just graduated from college and being dropped by my insurance company. I had to raise $10,000 cash over one weekend so that I could have my surgery that Monday morning. And uh, I will never forget the people that, that stepped up to the plate to help me, including my parents, who are on Social Security, people pledged uh, $1,000, $500, $100, $300 until I reached that goal. And then I was able to have that surgery and to have a brilliant surgeon who was extremely cautious and kept doing lab testing while I was on the table until she got clean margins. And it turned out that it was much farther in than they had initially Understood because it is uh, it was lobular, which is a, is a difficult animal to catch and, and find. Um, as those of you who don't know, there's there are a few uh, types of breast cancer. Most people get the garden variety, they call it, which is is ductal carcinoma. But then there are the uh, the unusual, more unusual ones, lobular and uh, inflammatory. Smaller percentage, different animals in different ways. Yeah. So uh, being dropped by the insurance, I, I eventually had to go on Medicaid to get through my year of treatment. And then, of course, the minute that you're done with the classical treatment with the medical establishment, 
you are uh, dropped. And for me, it took another two years to really feel back in control of my life. Mm. Wow, that's a big, I mean, that's on top of, you know, being diagnosed with, with uh, a disease like that, to have to then have to worry about money and coverage and, and all of those other issues at a time when you really don't need any additional stress. I mean, there's just so much, pers- you know, one person can bear. But you did it, and it's it's really a tribute to you. And I know a lot of other people struggle, or they don't have insurance, or they they don't even go to get the testing because there's no money and they, you know, don't have the wherewithal to do what you did, which is to, you know, reach out and ask people uh, to help support them in that. So I'm so glad that you shared the story, and hopefully people will hear it. And if they're in the same kind of predicament, they'll know to, um, you know, stand up for themselves and, and reach out. So thank you for sharing that. So from that point, after you kind of went through that process and, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, you just, you know, vowed that if you experienced five years of uh, being breast cancer-free that uh, were cancer-free, that you would create this documentary. So tell us a little bit about Between Us, that project, which I think was such an amazing uh, project, so useful, such a terrific product. It, it has it, – basically what I did was I created what I wished I would have had because back in 1992, the only person – I knew who had ever had breast cancer was my mother, and she did not survive. So that was a terrifying situation to be in when the only person you know hadn't survived. So I reached out and tried to find survivors, and when I eventually did, and it took a while, but uh, I still have a note that was sent to me by the mother of a friend who was only on the periphery of my circle, and she said, I just want you to know I just celebrated my 25th anniversary of survivorship, and and you can do this too. And that was like a lifeline because I knew intuitively that the way to get through this was to model my behavior after survivors rather than be quagmired in the fear that comes with this diagnosis. It's really, really critical that you have a vision of yourself of being healthy and I did everything from from meditation and, and alternative medicine and changing my diet, changing my stress level, um, it, doing uh, reflexology, uh, joining a support group. Support group was absolutely critical. And then also the medical side, I did my research and I knew what I wanted for being a premenopausal woman. I needed to go at it with all the guns blazing. And, of course, there were side effects to that, such as premature menopause and instant infertility, and all that had its its own challenges. But taking control and taking taking the reins gave my body the message that uh, we were in control, not the cancer, and we were going to be one force fighting against it. And you also had the... Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. You had, at that point, didn't you um, freeze your eggs as well? Yes. Yes, I was, uh, when when Dr. Petrick at Memorial Stone Kettering 
had her first consultation with me, and I was such a wreck. I think I cried for, I don't know, maybe three days until I ran out of tears. But um, she said, what what are your priorities here? What are your overriding concerns? I said, number one, I want to survive, and number two, I want to be a mother. She said, most young women are all worried about their 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 uh, their body appearance, and we can take care of that. And I said, well, that is so far down the list. I don't even want to talk about that right now. And so she said, well, there is a, a slight possibility that we could get you to the head of that year-long fertility waiting list over at Cornell, and she did that for me. She got me in there. We were able to do that. And that psychologically was was what gave me that light at the end of the tunnel. It was tremendously helpful toward my my recovery is knowing that I didn't have to give up that one thing that was so important to me. That's that's really something. And even that you had, I have to tell you, you know, the ability to think that far into the future, you know, is, is amazing. It really is. Because when you're under that kind of pressure and you have all that going on, it's it's really difficult sometimes. You're just living moment to moment. and it's. But, you know, you have, the, I, I mean, you're so blessed with the way your mind th- thinks, you know, uh, that you were able to prepare for that. You really are, you know, so that's a blessing, and I'm so glad that um, that that was able to be for you. I really am. And then so you make this film, which is fantastic, at which you produced with Amanda Melnick's mother, Joanne Singer, and that's yeah. how I met you years yeah. ago. And it, and it was a film about breast cancer survivors, and so just share a little bit about it before we move on to your other work. Well, it's very accessible. It, it, it The goal was to to make this feel like a girlfriend came over and sat down in your living room with you and, and just talked to you. And we're even in our pajamas and our robes, and we show our scars, and we, we have tears, and we talk about little tips like how good ice cream was and, um, you know, how to stuff your bra before you get your prosthesis so that you don't have to look at a big hole there and it's very homespun it was made for i don't know less than twenty thousand dollars i think it's an hour long and then from that we were able to develop a whole first aid kit for the heart and soul and we included with the dvd in this very beautifully designed box items that we found helpful back then. That was before everyone had cell phones, so we had prepaid phone cards. (laughs) We had tissues. We had bubble bath. We had tea. We had resource guides. We tried to make this something that would be the thing you could take home that night when you're in crisis and pull things out and go, oh, oh, somebody's been here before me. Oh, this feels so good. This is just right. So. I thought that was genius. I really did. I mean, because you're right, it was before cell phones and all this immediate, you know, kind of communication thing. And so I, I really did. I thought that was just the most genius product I, anyone had ever come up with. And so talk about some of the other films. You have now Survive and Thrive, which is your latest. And, and now what's this one about? Well, um, backing up just a tad, we went. the next one we did was called Beyond Flowers what to say and do when someone you know has breast cancer. And that that targets the loved ones, the families, the office workers, the next-door neighbors, the church group, because people always, the the common response is, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. Call me if you need something. 
Yeah. And it takes too much thinking and too much energy to do that. Right. So if you can watch this DVD, you can actually get some concrete suggestions, like putting your casserole in individual-sized Tupperware <laughs> containers that can be dumped out on a plate and heated up one at a time. Things I love like it. That. Very, very, very practical information. And, and people don't think about it, but flowers die, yeah. and they die yeah. at a time when you really don't need that symbolism in your life. <laughs> yes, true, true. Which doesn't mean which doesn't mean the flowers aren't still nice, but it, it did strike me all the, when I was in the hospital how my room was filled with dying flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're laughing, but you know it's it's true. You ju- you don't think of these things, you know. And uh, so th- this is all good advice for people to listen to. And um, and then uh, so what about um, survive and thrive? Okay, so survive and thrive came after the quiet war. Survive and thrive is our fourth. The quiet war is uh, for for stage four metastatic because oh, right. we found. Women, there was nothing, absolutely nothing for women with metastatic breast cancer. And, in fact, funding was a challenge because people said, well, we don't really want to be associated with something so negative. And so the face of that is changing as well. Women are living 10, 12, 15 years with metastatic breast cancer now, and that's new, and that's largely due to the advances in, in pharmaceuticals. But um, the new one, Survive and Thrive, is designed to replace the now-aging 12-year-old film uh, between us, which is still precious and useful. But as a filmmaker, it's not reflective of the skill level that I'm at now. And it is a beautiful film. I was able to bring 10 survivors to Alaska from all over the country, all different ethnic and racial backgrounds, and the only thing they have in common is that they are survivors of breast cancer. And we did the same thing we did with Between Us, only we ramped it up quite a bit with uh, con- with kayaking and the stunning Alaskan scenery, with a beautiful lodge, with um, flying over the glaciers. I mean, we just added production value, but the, the heart and soul is still there, and there's a second DVD in there, which is 90 questions to nine different experts on everything from nutrition to reconstruction so that you can just sit in your home and uh, zip through what you're interested in and skip the rest. That is amazing and such useful information. I mean, half the time I think that's the problem because people become overwhelmed and there is, you know, you have to take control of your life, as you said, and, you know, you're not feeling well or you may be going through treatment. So to have this, you know, a, something a, a, a DVD you can just slip in, I think that's really fabulous. So people, you know, all of the information, all of the research, your 19 years of knowledge, you know, um, just from right. what you experienced with breast cancer, it, what, a, what a gift to the world. That's really something, really powerful, Mary. Thank you. And so what do you think, are there still, you know, tell us a little bit about, the message, messages that you feel are so imperative to get out to people. Is, are there still things that you, you know, you keep saying, you know what, I can do 20 more films and I, well, I like yeah. that. 
Can we talk about some of them? (laughs) Uh, Well, as relates to breast cancer, I think we need to look at now that we have a whole new craft of long-term survivors, we need to look at the hidden story behind that because that is not addressed. We have what I call the uh, the pink ribbon crowd, which is um, it's all about the upbeat, positive survivor stories. But behind that is a a, a a trail of destruction, basically, of women who are thrust into early menopause. They have uh, osteoporosis. They have infertility. They have declining relationships because of diminished sexual capacity. There are so many areas that we haven't talked about. And then we get into the pharmaceuticals and the the horizontal, the uh, vertical industry that is right down to operating these designer clinics that administer the chemotherapy and uh, the extraordinary expense of that and what a business it's become. Uh, There's just there's no no end to what we could explore. And, And in fact, there's a new film out now. I think it's called Pink pink ribbon that that looks at some of that and that's the next wave is is to look at that as far as other topics go um, i'm very uh, i'm very interested in what's happening with baby boomers who are taking their parents in for because they can't afford housing or there isn't room in assisted living anymore and we have a new project there called sandwich there's a trailer on our website which i'd love to mention which is affinityfilms.org um, i'm also looking at the uh, the social impact of what this uh, serial killer up here has has done in our community. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard about this yet down there, but there's a feature film called Frozen Ground, and it's about an old case, a cold, an old case of the uh, Alaska's most notorious serial killer. He managed to kill 21 women before he was caught, and I'm looking at that from a societal angle of what was the perfect storm there that he was able to get away with this for so long who was he who who were his victims and what can we learn from this so it doesn't happen again because making a Hollywood thriller out of the story is not contributing to our evolution. Got it. Got it. Well mention it's affinityfilms.org so definitely check out all the films that Mary Katsky is involved in. And as you can hear, she's got quite a, an agenda ahead of her, all things we can look forward to seeing. So let me ask you, because uh, you know we have about seven minutes left, and I want to make sure we cover everything. What are the life lessons that you gained from you know this experience with breast cancer? Has it changed you and how you live in your life? Well, yes, it, it most certainly has. Uh, one thing is that um, I I made a, a a very serious career decision, which was to move back to Alaska from New York, because I found that the stress in that extremely competitive environment wasn't healthy for me. And I think assessing uh, your stress level, where, where wherever it's coming from, many women get divorced during treatment, not because their husbands are leaving them, but because they're leaving their husbands. They're deciding that it is not contributing to their health is hurting their health. They're having to take care of him and themselves. So uh, determining where those sources are and and what to do with it. I I actually um, discontinued toxic relationships. I had a few of those going on, and I I chose to, to not continue those. I also found that delaying your dreams is is pointless 
because you don't know if you're going to get there. And if you're not acting on your dreams, you are just taking a chance that you'll never get to do them. And uh, one of those dreams for me was to stop out of life for a year and take my son around the world, which we did last year. We we took a full um, school year and traveled uh, from Alaska heading east until we came back from the west, and it was fantastic. I can't say enough about that. I hope everyone will consider taking a family gap year. We we homeschooled and we saw 27 countries, and we had an amazing, memorable year. So that would be another lesson. And also, I think, doing work that provides appreciation and meaning. I had the opportunity to have a job with full benefits, and I I didn't last very long because I didn't get anything else back from it, and it was interesting to me to see that I suddenly needed to go to the doctor more often. (laughs) Right. So, uh, yeah. So, um, well, that's. So, I can't. I just. You're too much. Lesson. You're too much. Pardon? I mean, that if, I said you are really too much. I mean, that trip that you took around the world with your son. That's. And you are making a film of that, or do I have to have you both on the show now? <laughs> well, show. I am making a film of it. Um, we're just pending some editing funds. It's in the can. Yes. Oh, brilliant, because I think that is something that every family should get a look at, and uh, I wish you much success with that because I think it's a beautiful sentiment, you know, to to just pause and really enjoy what is. And I love that your organization is run by volunteers, basically, and, and that you mentor women interested in the film industry. And why is that so important to you, may I ask? Well, at the time when I um, entered the film industry, only 5% of the women, 5% of directors were women. Now, I think that's changed a little bit uh, in our favor. I mean, with with, uh, Catherine Bigelow winning the uh, Oscar last year, it was so exciting. It was landmark. Yes, it was. But but basically, um, the majority of those women directors are doing documentaries, so... Um, it's still the the poor stepchild of the film industry, but I think yeah. it is absolutely critical that women can have an opportunity to advance in the film business without the casting couch in the equation, which is such a big part of this business. I mean, I hate to say it, but even in 2011, uh, there are still situations where young women are expected to deliver more than the coffee. And I want them to have an atmosphere where they don't have to think about that. Absolutely. That's a great thing, and thank you for for doing that as well. So if you are interested in purchasing... Uh, one of Mary's films, uh, please go to affinityfilms.org. Or if you want to make a donation, uh, she needs some editing funds and various other monies to get some of those uh, films out of the can, out of the editing studio, and, and uh, into uh, theaters so that you all can see them. So go to www.affinityfilms.org. Mary Katsky, I love your films and who you are at the core and how you manifest that out and into the world. It is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this program. It's been wonderful to have you here, and I hope you'll come back with us in the beginning of the year if your schedule allows. I'd love for you and your son to come on and talk about that trip that you took around the world. I think that's a great idea, and thank you for doing what you're doing. 
Thank you very much, and, and best of luck with all your projects. Our second guest is Amanda Melnick, and she is a 36-year-old wife and mother and vice president of marketing for the Food Channel and Cooking Channel. Amanda was diagnosed with breast cancer a year ago and chose to go through a double mastectomy as a preventative measure. Amanda's mother, Joanne Singer, is a breast cancer survivor and also co-produced Between Us with Mary Katsky. Welcome, and thank you for being here, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. So, Amanda, as a young woman, how did you feel with the fact that you were at risk prior to your own diagnosis? You know, it's interesting because I think, you know, I was a teenager when my mom was diagnosed and when she went through treatment. And I think like most teenagers, you know, there's a little bit of innocence and a little bit of denial in the best way that, you know, it can't happen to me. Um, but I think when you watch someone so near and dear to your heart, like your very own mother, despite how courageous and wonderful, there's something that hits close to home. And you certainly um, spend your life wondering, is that going to be me next? When is it going to happen to me? Um, so part of it is that you kind of sit around waiting, but then you also just need to go on with life. And I feel like, you know, I... I was certainly aware of the risk younger. I certainly started taking preventative causes, you know, at an early age. I started getting mammographies when I was 32, so 10 years prior to my mom's diagnosis. And I feel like I was surrounded by, you know, doctors and people who were watching out for me from very early on. And so I felt like, all right, I need to take care of this, and it's a little scary, but if it needs to be caught, someone will catch it early. That's terrific, and you did, and and so how old, you said a teenager, how old were you? My mom was diagnosed, I believe I was about 16. Oh, God, but the years fly. I know. And uh, it's been a long time. So so that, in that respect, that not only did you have those doctors and your mom looking out for you, but um, you had her support as well through the whole thing. And uh, she's a pretty special lady. I know her and because uh, I, I worked with both uh, Mary and she on the Between Us film. And so I would imagine that was an enormous support to you as well. Oh, my mom is extraordinary, as you know, as a person aside from being a survivor. Um, and I think one of the things that she did, you know, she tried to never say, well, when I went through it, well, when I went through it, it was my own journey. And um, she she made sure to, you know, separate her own emotions from that, which I can't imagine was easy. You know, it's hard enough to go through it and have to tell your child, but then to watch your child go through it has to be just terrifying. So she was supportive and wonderful and certainly knowledgeable, but she definitely played the role of mother as opposed to someone who, you know, had that, well, I went through it too, attitude, which I actually found to be so reassuring and so wonderful. Mm. So um, so what were your memories of, because Between Us, and that's the video documentary that, uh, you know, Mary produced and your mom produced, but, mm-hmm. and it was actually done in your home. I so know. So as a teenager, what kind of impact, what did you feel when that was going on? What were your memories I, of it? I knew I was surrounded by extraordinary women. I don't think I had a full appreciation the same way I do now, not just because I'm now a survivor myself, but just also just understanding the cause um, and just understanding, you know, motherhood and everything these ladies we went through. But I certainly knew I was in the presence of extraordinary women and very empowered women. And, you know, just after I went through this myself, I thought about all those women immediately and thought, wow, they were so incredibly empowered and so courageous and 
you have such a great attitude. And wow, I want to embody that too. I just remember really being wowed by them and in awe of them and their and their strength. That's beautiful. And um, let's you you know you had a young baby. A husband, you were just recently married a few uh, a few years in this high powered career, uh, vice president of marketing marketing for the um, food channel and cooking channel is a big job, and then you received the news that you you were diagnosed with cancer. So how did you maneuver your way through this, not only emotionally but physically through this time period with all that you had to handle? I think um, I think with a lot of support, and I think you know it's. Life has a way of just kind of pushing you on, and you kind of just have to keep going. You know, I certainly had to, you know, give myself a little bit of a break and realize, okay, I have to step back. I can't do everything at once. I had to take some time off from work following surgery, and everyone at work was wonderful and incredibly supportive and tried to leave me alone, even if I didn't let them. Um, And my family just, you know, we had, we were lucky. We're surrounded by so much family and so many friends. You know, the one thing I will say about diagnosis like this you are amazed at the kindness of strangers. And, you know, people who you think, you know, you know just a little, just come out of the woodworks to do anything and everything they can. And you have to be in a position to say, okay, I'll let you help. So, you know, my first and biggest concern was, you know, please make sure my son Jack's life is as normal as possible and continues to be as normal as possible. Because if that can happen, all will be okay. And so that's what we did. We made sure that whether it was more hands on deck or whatever had to happen, you know, physically, I wasn't able to lift him for a long time. But there was always someone there who could, um, so that we really weren't saying no to him. And, you know, while we could explain to him to a degree, we just wanted his life to be as normal as it could. Mm. And he was how old at the time? Uh, about two and a half. Oh, wow. So that's really, that was really young. That must have been, it must have been emotionally hard for you, too, not to be able to lift him and hold him. And oh, my him. gosh. It was, um, that was the worst part of all of it, was to just not feel like I could do the things that I wanted so badly to do and that, you know, just a short time ago, I probably took for granted. I remember before I went into the hospital for my surgery, all I wanted to do was swing Jack around because I knew it was going to be weeks before I could do it again. Mm. And you see that smile. I saw his face light up and I just couldn't wait till I'd be able to do it again. I, I can only imagine that that um, that's really says a lot about you, though, because despite the fact that you have all this support and you have all these doctors watching you, it's it's still when it happens to you, it's it's just a it has to be like a giant blow. It has to knock the wind out of your sails for a moment. And so, you know, who are we going to be in the face of that is always the question. Um, and so, what you displayed was just enormous courage. You know, and how you handled the situation. You to check. No, it's really, it's really. I lost my breath too, though. I certainly did. I remember getting the call from the doctor, and I, I mean, I absolutely, absolutely love my OBGYN. I, you know, she was incredibly supportive through all this, and I remember getting the call from her, and she said, "Just breathe. I know your life just got turned upside down," and that really is the best way to say it, and. It was then that I realized, like, okay, all I have to do this moment is breathe. I can't even worry about what I'm going to do the next moment, you know. And you, the minute you have a million and one questions, you go and you start talking to people and doing your research and going in to talk to doctors, then you have just a million more questions instead of answers. So you really do just have to take it moment by moment because if not, the wind does get really knocked out of you. Yeah, 
did you like um, meditate or do yoga, or was, was there anything that you kind of shifted in your life that got you in a, to help you calm down, to help you be in the moment? And you I know, tried to. Control? I you know I wish I was one of those people who found yoga to be. Um, helpful because I'm still trying to be that person, but it said I was always that person who was like, why Why am I like stressed out that I can't stay in this position? <laughs> um, as opposed right. to thinking, like, let me just enjoy it. Um, but there were certain things that whether it was reading um, or just literally kind of just being quiet in my room um, and just, I don't know that it was meditating as much as just kind of trying to just be for a little bit um, and kind of block out all the noise was important to me because I feel like your head can go in so many directions and you have to find a way to divert that and you have to find a way to quiet your mind. I want to talk about your decision, which I think is a very courageous one, you know, deciding and your decision-making process, rather, to have a double mastectomy. And before that, I just, I was very moved you kind of sent me, I guess it was writing that you did for, was it a survivor's blog? Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Okay. So I just want to read for the listeners out there. I decided to take pictures of myself the night before just so I would always have the memory of my breasts and not have any regrets. I had spent many years hating my 32 double D breasts because of of all the clothes I couldn't wear and the back and neck pain I dealt with every day. But now, faced with losing them, I seem to love my breasts even more. I couldn't imagine a version of me without them. Jeff kept reminding me that he loved me for me and that I would still be the same, Jeff being your husband. So let's talk about how you came to making that decision and what what that involved. I um I met with two different doctors, um you know, uh, surgeons rather, breast surgeons, to determine the best course of treatment. And based on my diagnosis, which was multifocal DCIS on one of the sides, um because of the placement of the DCIS and because um, it was, again, multifocal and not concentrated in a smaller area, one of the surgeons did think it would be possible to do various lumpectomies and still have a okay cosmetic outcome. One of them said absolutely not, and not only did not they not feel cosmetically that it could work, um, I think there was real concern about would there be further DCIS um, elsewhere. So then we quickly got to a discussion about a mastectomy um, on just that side, which was the left side. And I, as I started thinking about it and, you know, coming to the understanding and realization that I was going to have to do this, and that was hard because it felt like, wow, I have to do something so extreme for a diagnosis that everyone keeps saying is stage zero. Like, it, it just shocked me that, you know, that I would have to do something that in my mind seemed so extreme for a um, for something that everyone seemed to not be as concerned about. And the minute I realized that was going to be the case, I then sort of started thinking about, okay, you know, what are the pros and cons of, you know, keeping the other side? And it became real clear to me that if I was going to have to do something like this that was going to be life-altering, I didn't want the anxiety of the surveillance, too. That would just be too much. I would have to deal with the physical and emotional recovery of losing a breast and then have to deal with the emotional decision to try to have surveillance every three months because that's what it would have started out as. And just kind of waiting for it to happen to the other side. And I couldn't do that. 
And the hard part was it meant, okay, you know, if we have another child, it meant I couldn't nurse. But I wasn't sure I could have anyway because who knew what would have happened through surgery. And it just seemed like it was more important to know for my health and for my mental happiness um, and emotional stability that if I was going to do one, I do both, and then I could recover all around um, at the same time. So it was a harder reality to accept that I'd have to do it at all, but then it became relatively clear very quickly that if I was going to do one, I was going to do two. So it just kind of came to you, that feeling, it just... It's just sort of, I remember sitting on the couch and saying to Jeff, wow, like, I'm going to have to get a mastectomy. That means, you know what, I'm going to do both. And he goes, and no one would even think twice or blame you. And when I talked to um, my the surgeon I ultimately ended up going with, Dr. Port, um, who's an incredibly compassionate and um, really wise lady, I told her and she said, I think that's not only brave, but I think it's really smart. She said, you know, you're going to take away the anxiety and you're going to take away the possibility that um, this will happen to you. You will be able to go on and live your life. Well, and in a way, I can see that, yeah. I am also not the kind of person that I can't keep anxiety at bay about my health. If I was under surveillance every three months, I would be worried for a couple weeks before and a couple weeks after. And chances <laughs> are, given given the diagnosis and given what I went through, they were going to have to biopsy stuff constantly. And after my to get to my diagnosis, I had to go through so many biopsies, and some of them were some of them were easier than others, but some of them were really painful, too, physically, and um, the stress around them was really high. And that waiting period, there's nothing harder than waiting. And I wouldn't have been able to go through that waiting every three months. It just would have torn me apart. It makes, it really does make a lot of sense. It does, you know, uh, speak of, of an intelligent, being an intelligent decision, because not only do you kind of let go of of the anxiety in a sense, but who would want to go through that process twice? God forbid it it would reoccur. You know, you wouldn't want to go through, you know, you know what I mean? You wouldn't want to go through the whole process. Oh, gosh, no. And you hear horror stories about it, and you hear horror stories of missing it, and I just, um, I felt like the most important thing I could do was do everything in my power to be assured that I would be here with my family for as long as possible. And that's what that meant. And it's very hard to make rational decisions, you know, at such an emotional time. But somehow being able to do that was felt easier and safer than, you know, deciding what to do with my heart. <laughs> sure. And um, so what are the life lessons you gained from this experience? How has it changed you? I think I'm still figuring some of that out, to be honest. I think it's a journey. You know, I had a high expectation that, you know, after being going through this at the one-year mark um, of my diagnosis, which just passed and my surgery, that every lesson that I, you know, ever wanted or needed to come was going to, you know, come to me an epiphany at that point, and I would have it all figured out. Um, that did not happen. But what I will say happened is I think, you know, for a lot of people when they get um, they go through something, you know, kind of life-altering in your face with your mortality. It, you know, fortunately happens at a much older age. In a crazy way, it feels a little bit like a gift that at 35, I'm faced with, okay, if I if I wasn't here tomorrow, how, you know, how would I have hoped to have lived my life? And I feel like 
I get the chance to kind of make that decision now. So there are small things that, you know, I've always, you know, put off and have always tried to, you know, keep better perspective on that now I'm making a real conscious effort to focus on, to make sure that, you know, I keep a perspective about life balance with work and home to make sure that, you know, traveling is a passion of ours, that we don't just say we're going to go places, we do it. Um, And then I think there are the bigger things of how do I want to live my life? What will make me happiest? And I think those are things that will take a little to figure out. But I think the other is just what's going to make me my best self. I said I I had this idea that, you know, you beat cancer and all boats rise, that I become, you know, like one of those women in between us that's so empowered, so courageous. And the thing is that you have to conquer other things for that to happen, and you have to, you know, bring that upon yourself. But now I will make such more of a conscious effort to do that because it's important to me, and I've realized that that's what I want. Um, And so, you know, I'll make different decisions and I will um, approach situations differently with that in mind and knowing that, you know, I, I too can be one of those women. You are one of those women. Well, I'm still growing up. (laughs) Still Um, growing up. Aren't we all? all? I don't think that ever stops, but you certainly sound uh, as if you have arrived, my dear. Uh, Well, thank you. I don't know, but thank you. (laughs) I still feel like I need my mommy and daddy, so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that ever changes. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) What what age we are. But um, what are, so what are some of your new goals? that you think this experience kind of pushed you into that weren't there before? I think I'm trying very hard to step out of my comfort zone. I I tend to be the type of person who um, does get comfortable doing things and, you know, I'm not going to go start going bungee jumping per se, but, you know, whether it's taking on more responsibility um, at work, which I just did, you know, I think, you know, you get very comfortable in a job and, you know, I was just presented the opportunity to take on a larger role, and it's sort of like you got to jump in and try and do it. Um, I think that motherhood certainly pushes you out of your comfort zone, and I think that initially, you know, that's scary. Now I think I'm trying to embrace that with joy and say, all right, what what are we going to try today, and what is today going to bring us? And if I don't know or I don't get it right the first time, that's okay, um, because this is a journey, and I I think the biggest life lesson is to try and give myself a break um, because I think that we're always learning and, you know, we have to applaud the little things we do. Um, Like I said, I, you know, I want to make sure we, whether it's Jeff and I or Jeff, Jack and I, that we go on, whether it's mini vacations or longer ones, um, a lot more often because I don't want life to just pass by. I want to experience it, and I want the memories of experiencing it. You know, I've always been the kind of person who pictures go a long way, and I want to document everything, um, including apparently my breath the night before. Um, and, you know, we'll continue to do that, but I want us to have those experiences together to look back upon. Beautiful. And, yeah, and just really spending time with my family because I feel like um, – you know, I just want to make more of a conscious effort to, to the three of us. You know, Jack grows up really fast. And, you know, the days might feel long, but the the years are short. And I want to make sure that I feel like I'm really there for them and as much as I can be and present. Well, those are those are great goals to have because when it comes down to that, that's that's really the most important things in life, isn't it? You know, to have the people it you love is. around you. And, you know, to have the joy of motherhood and and, uh, a job that you love and a husband that you love. And that's, you know, 
that's it. That's the best bucket list to have. Right, like um, then we're pretty lucky. <laughs> very lucky girl. And so what advice um, do you have for those new, being newly diagnosed? Like my doctor said to me, take a deep breath. <laughs> um, there will be another side to this. Um, you will come out the other side. Um, things will shift. You will be different. And that it's a personal journey. No one can tell you what you should do. You will hear so many opinions um, and take them all in, but you've got to decide what's best for you because I as Jeff always teases me, he's like, I think you think your middle name should be should. Because I'm always saying, well, I should have done this. I should have done that. <laughs> and there are no there are no shoulds. Um, there's what's right for you. And um, this is such an emotional and physical um, disease because it affects, you know, something that's so intimate about your life. Um, and it's humbling in many ways for that. But that you got to give yourself a break and let yourself just handle it um, how you need to. You know, certainly get a good team of people around you as well. You know, I I surrounded myself with a small group of doctors and family and friends that I trusted, um, and that could be my eyes and ears when I couldn't. And that was the most valuable thing I could ever do. That's very good advice. And did you find that all of, because um, it was a lot different when, your mom was diagnosed than when you were diagnosed in terms of the advances that were made and the support uh, systems that were out there. Did you stay just inside your circle of family and friends, or did you reach out to, you know, some of the things that are available for survivors? Um, you know, a little of both. I, you know, initially I started looking at some of the websites and, um, you know, listening to some other stories, and I debated going to um, a support group, but I found that. Other people's stories um, were scaring me a little bit, and I needed to kind of go in in a weird way with blinders. I wanted, you know, people. some people want to hear everything. Some people want to only hear positive stories. I needed at first to hear kind of from the cheerleaders, the people who had really good stories, um, not unrealistic, but the truth, um, and people who I knew um, had a similar approach that I did. So there were a couple people I knew who had gone through this, um, and those were the people I really wanted to talk to. They were matter-of-fact but um, I felt like they had a similar mindset to me because it's always hard to know who you're listening to and who, if you don't know them well. And they're, you know, if they're coming from such a different mindset than you that it's very hard to know if you're going to react the same way. So I kept that group um, smaller just because the, um, the larger group was sort of getting me a little scared and a little bit um, sending me in circles. I understand that completely, and it's important to really focus so you can, you know, feel the foundation around you steady so that you can make those choices for yourself. It's very important to feel surrounded, you know, by trust and just have an openness. And if there's a lot of noise going about, then I can see where that would really, uh, you know, cause interference for someone making such an important decision like yourself. Well, I can't believe the time has flown by. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Amanda. Uh, again, I want to thank my extraordinary guests, the courageous Amanda Melnick and the magical Mary Katsky. Go to affinityfilms.org for more information about Mary and all her fantastic films and tune into the Food Channel and Cooking Channel to support Amanda. My wish for this week, there is an estimated... 231,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer that might happen this year in the U.S. 
And my wish, very simply, is that we find a cure. Today, I'm going to send you out with a song that was written specifically for breast cancer survivors. It's called We Can Fly. And the beautiful vocals are performed by Norma Jean Wright. If you're listening, spread those wings because together we can fly. It's been great to have you this half hour with me. I hope you enjoyed our Breast Cancer Awareness and Empowerment Series. This is Kathy Barrett sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me. Not the time to be alone. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.